0: Welcome to my podcast, Musings of a Christian Philosopher, where we talk about deep and often challenging topics of theology and philosophy. I'm your host, Adam Polstra. Let's get started. Good day, everybody. Today I come presenting yet another debunking from our good friends over in the realm of churchianity. Jesus will remove all of your pain if only you believe. Right. Christians around the realms of the church, especially depending on denomination, will try to lure people in by pointing out that if they believe in Jesus, he can remove their temptations, he can remove their addictions, he can remove their lust. He can compensate or replace or whatever on earth it is that he is supposedly going to do for you. Now, all of this stuff, I am not going to say is 100% false. But, virtually speaking, almost entirely, it is false. It has no basis in the Bible. Which, again, is not to say absolutely none. It is not the way that the Bible presents God as behaving. If you believe enough God can heal you, you can operate in the gift of healing. We read in the Gospels that Jesus was among the Israelites healing people as he went along over and over and over again. We tend to miss the fact that that is in a very small set of areas and only running into some people. There were probably quite a few people who didn't believe any of the rumors that they heard from any so-called miracle worker. They had probably heard about a great many throughout the course of their lives. And they didn't even go bother to go out and try and find him, which a lot of people did. Or how about the apostles and the New Testament after Christ? Yes, there's miracle after miracle after miracle. Does that cover everybody? No. No, it's only in the areas where they happened to be. See, the idea of God lifting our pain from us is not only not the way of theology, not the way the Bible presents it, but it's one of the most damaging things that human beings do to each other. What I mean is, one of the worst things that human beings can do to each other is to remove the consequences and pains that we face from one another. Why? Because we don't grow. If, for example, we have made a bad decision, and as a result of that decision, we're going to face some consequences, some pains, some turmoil. If somebody else comes in and says, no, no, I must spare you all of this discomfort, all of this pain, which, of course, is one of the reasons why people play the victim All, or very often. Indeed, they're trying to get somebody to come in and do this. If that is what somebody does in a fit of altruism or whatever it might be, then what you have just pretty much guaranteed is that the person who made the bad choice is going to learn exactly nothing from what they did. If they were willing to make that decision and willing to play the victim and then you remove the consequences you have removed the last line of the possibility for them to awake to realize that they made a real mistake. Now when it comes to circumstantial abuse or circumstantial pain something that is happening merely as the result of circumstance of chance. Is it cruel then to remove the pain? Well, that depends. Sometimes it can be a very good thing to remove it. For example, I think God does woo people, especially those who don't know about him yet, with a miracle of that kind. Sometimes even it might be the result of somebody's decisions. Like, for example, you could have somebody who is horribly addicted to nicotine, and they find out about Christianity, find out more about God, go to church, pray fervently, go to the altar, and their craving for nicotine is just plain gone. I absolutely believe that that sort of a thing happens, but, and I have heard about it and I do believe the accounts, but I can almost guarantee you one thing in particular, those people wanted to be released of their addiction. They wanted to get free. In fact, if they didn't get the miracle, they probably would have started taking steps to do whatever it took to recover from that addiction themselves. If they didn't want to, then God, if he is truly omniscient, and I believe he is, he would already know that their prayers are insincere. And so why would he give the miracle? They're just going to go right back, dog to its own vomit, pig to its own slop course, and God would know that. Now, you could also say that those same people might end up going back into a bad time and going back to their nicotine addiction, for example. Do they get a second miracle? Ah, well, if God also is a good father, he might give you the one freebie, but you go back to your slob, you go back to your vomit? Probably not the second time. Oh, no, no, I gave you the one get out of jail free card. You go, You go back into jail, you got to get yourself out. You have to learn how to do the work. You have to learn how to reform. That, to me, would be the kind of activity of a good father. Now, if God were to always relinquish the consequences of mere circumstantial pain from our lives in this life, well, what's the difference then between here and heaven? What's the difference between this corrupt place, which we understand theologically as corrupt, and heaven, which is not corrupt? If we don't have the pain as a signal to remind us that this place is not the way it's supposed to be, that the world has been corrupted, then why would we want anything other than this world? We can get over some of the minor pains, some of the day-to-day issues fairly well, especially as adults. But if, yeah, earthquakes and fires and people occasionally getting struck by lightning, and I'm not just talking about things that kill us, but things that make us uncomfortable. If those things ceased to occur, then how would we maintain the craving for that which is perfect, that which is very truly good? See, what we're really wanting when we talk on and on around church about God getting rid of all of these things for us, about God giving us hope for blah, 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 What we're asking is for God to be a great magician. What we're asking for is essentially for God to be a great vending machine. What we want is bullet point Christianity. I've talked about a number of these things before. If I pray fervently enough and I want it in my heart and I do X and Y and Z and check mark all of the boxes, then bippity-boppity-boo, I get the miracle, and I'll be free, and my leg will grow back, or my bone will set and heal in an instant, or whatever it might be. Do these things happen in Christianity as such? Yes, I absolutely believe that. When the disciples asked, is this man blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin, He simply waived the question and pointed out that this was an opportunity for the glory of God to show show itself. How much more, or how much the same, rather, other people who receive similar miracles. Is it really for that person, or is it for God? Well, I would argue actually probably both. Those people who receive those miracles, again, are very often just getting introduced to the concept of God, and then they receive a miracle, and lo and behold, they're elated, delighted, wonderstruck, and they want to believe in this God, of course they want to believe in this God. But God is also interested, and I would argue more interested on the basis of how I understand Scripture, more interested in us becoming good people. We want God to just be this magician, to be this vending machine But it was Jesus himself who said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is not to argue that works are our way to get to salvation. No, I have no desire to overturn that part of theology. However, us becoming good people is a deep and abiding interest of God in our lives. Why does God woo people, sometimes through amazing miracles, to believing in him? Well, for one thing, He wants re- uh, the main thing, really, is he wants relationship with us. And how is it that we can actually have a relationship with God? Well, the Bible talks about the fact that he is not close to evil. He rejects the proud. He cannot be close to sin. So in order to have a relationship with us, what is necessary? Well, we have to be rid of the darkness. We have to be rid of the evil. We have to be rid of the sin. We have to be rid of the pride. Okay, how does that happen? If we're not going to learn through theology, through the reading of Scripture, through study, whatever it might be, if we're not going to learn by the law and the prophets, another phrase of Jesus's, then what we're going to learn by... Is pain if we cannot learn by ideas if we cannot learn through preparation then we're going to have to learn through consequences and we think that this doesn't apply to Christians just as much if not more so than the rest of the world of course not if anything that is going to be the more poignant for Christians because the emphasis is gaining a relationship with God if Christians believe that just because they're Christians, they get, out of, get a get-out-of-jail-free card, then they basically are arguing that they get to be the most immature people in the world just because they're Christians. The very opposite should be the truth. Oh, but you say God works out all things for good for those who love him. Yes, God works out all things for good for those who love him not for what we like, not for what makes us comfortable, what is good. What does that mean? Well, I think the rest of the Bible, when it talks about God's preference in our lives, makes that fairly clear. He wants us to become good, to be virtuous, to be moral, to have character. In fact, the Bible goes so far that it says he wants us to be like him. He wants us to model our lives off of his character. Which then means, if you think about it, that our interest in other people's lives should also be good. That is my definition of love. Seeking the good to the best of your ability. Now, the full definition is knowing and seeking the good to the best of your ability. And I do mean that in all things. I keep the relationship terms out of it to point out that that basically has to do with everything. Do you love the world? You seek its good. Do you love a person? Seek its good. Do you love a dog? Seek its good. That's what it means to love them is what I'm arguing. And if we can start doing that, we might begin to understand why the point of God being in our lives is not to spare us pain. You start seeking the good in other people's lives, and you're going to begin to realize that sometimes they have to feel the pain. And you may also begin to realize that good people are the more improved by, or sorry, not by, through feeling pain. One time my dad asked me the question, why is it that evil people so often get it so good in life? It's not exactly how he put it. But my answer was that if evil people get it good, then that is exactly what the enemy would want. The enemy of our souls. Why? Because it gives them every excuse they need to coast. It gives them every excuse that they need to continue living the way that they choose, that they like, that they want. Want and never feel guilty about it at all. It is the activity and of an enemy to give us a coasting life, free of pain, particularly when we are actually doing evil. Now, when it comes to those who really are seeking to be virtuous, to be good, and all the rest of it, when they face pain, even gratuitous pain, by which I mean pain of circumstance, pain which they had nothing to do with, they did not choose it, directly or indirectly, those people are actually capable of improving through the pain. Why? Good people make lemonade out of the lemons of pain. Bad people, if they do not choose to stop being bad, just keep feeling the pain, the acid in their eyes and in their wounds, and they just scream and moan and cry, victim, victim, I'm a victim! And they learn nothing. Good people always can learn something, even if it's just the power of acceptance, by which I mean adaptability. If you're willing to accept what is going on, not accepting it as okay or passable or something like that, but accept it as reality, you empower yourself to act in those circumstances. Good people are more likely to do that. So why would we spare pain to good people? Why would we try to spare ourselves pain? Now again, I'm not saying avoiding gratuitous pain is a bad thing. I am not talking about seeking pain or seeking pain for other people. But if the pain has come, Who are we to say that it's a bad thing to face it? Should we pray that God might release us from it? Sure, I think that's totally fine. Should we seek healing? Should, if it's a health problem, should we seek to try to mend our bodies? Abso-freaking-lutely. Pain is not good in itself. It is the result, based on theological reasoning, of sin. It is not evil in and of itself, but it's the result of evil. So no, I think that we should fight against pain in general. We should not want it. And we should seek to stop it within reasonable bounds. But if we become so obsessed with just fighting pain that that becomes essentially the defining point of our entire lives then what we have effectively done is ceased to fight against actual evil, and we are cutting off the good activity that pain can have through good people. What we're really doing is we're cutting up fruits and doing nothing about the tree. Does that make sense? The tree is sin. The tree is the corruption of the world. The fruit is pain. You cut up the fruit, not only are you doing nothing to the tree, but you might end up planting new trees. Stop fighting the fruit and fight the tree. In fact, as a result, you will probably eliminate more pain, at least in your own life and the lives of those around you, than you would have by trying to just get rid of pain. As the Western world has tried to eliminate, especially physical pain, in every way it possibly can, all that has really resulted is that we have discovered new kinds of pain. Think about the amount of mental breakdown that we have. Trauma, abuse, and so on. Now, of course, I don't mean to imply that the physical pains, medical issues, etc etc are good things and we should want them. But it does seem that even when we manage to reduce one kind of pain, we simply find another. What I am arguing is that pain is a part of this life. Going back to, we can't mistake this world as paradise. Pain is a part of this life. We're going to have to accept it, one way or the other, if we're ever going to live in parallel with this reality which to me is just a sign of growing up because what it means is you have accepted something truly rational. Rather than turning from it simply because you don't happen to like it, which is the choice to embrace irrationality and living perpendicular to this reality. You're going to fail if you do so. So to me, that is what lies at the root, truly. Of all of this, Jesus is going to save you from your pain and your addictions and so on and so forth. Might he, God the Father, in his generosity do that for some people? Yeah. Is he going to do that for everybody? I could hardly imagine a worse fate for humanity. So that's all I had to talk about today. Have a good one.